0: Let's pray. Father, help us all now to have ears open to the good things you have to say to us and hearts ready to receive it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at that middle reading from Romans 5, 1 to 11. So if you could have that open, that would be wonderful. This is a sermon about the reign of grace. From time to time, optimistic people suggest that human beings are finally waking up from history, as if history is a kind of dream or nightmare we have experienced without being able to think clearly or act reasonably. Waking up from history, then, is finally putting away war and cruelty and intolerance. It's putting away irrationality and hatred pride and greed, and instead embracing peace and cooperation and mutual respect and knowledge and wisdom and kindness. And yet these optimistic hopes seem always to be dashed. New hostilities break out. New irrationalities rear their heads. New atrocities are committed. New greed, new exploitation, new murders arise. Why don't we learn Why can't we change? Why can't we wake up? Why do new generations arise to repeat with variation the foolishnesses and crimes of their parents or grandparents or great-grandparents? Why do eras of peace and sophistication decay and fall into new eras of conflict and ignorance? Why do even the most enlightened of our cultures still contain so much injustice and misery and prejudice and selfishness? A passage from Romans 5 describes history in two events which enthrone two opposite powers. It's an extremely simplified, stylized, big picture, broad brush, bird's eye view, if you like, of the whole scope of human history. And it's given to us by God that we might have firstly realism, but secondly hope about the world we inhabit. Let's start with the first event and the first reign. And that is, the event is the trespass and the reign is the reign of sin and death. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. This is an unpromising start in many ways. But in the first half of the verse, Paul sums up really the thrust of that story told right at the beginning of the Bible the story of Eve and the snake in the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the taking and eating of the fruit of it. It's not really told, this story, just the important results are reported. Sin entered the world. Sin was not there in the beginning. That is, sin in its sense of being our distrust of God, our consequent disobedience of God. Or sin in the sense that is, in this passage, of a power, a power that enslaves human beings and alienates us from God. Sin entered the world. And death through sin for death follows sin as crime, as punishment follows crime death is then our enemy as well as sin an oppressive power our undoing our returning to dust and so in the terms of the story god says to adam because you ate fruit from the tree about which i commanded you you must not eat of it what follows By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And this rolls down the generations. Think of uh, Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel. The Lord looked with favour, we read on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour, so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Did Cain... Master sin? No. Did Cain rule over sin? No. It ruled him, it mastered him, it had him. And none of us, none of us children of Adam and Eve, have mastered sin since. Death came to all people because all sinned. Now, Paul speaks of Adam's trespass as somehow decisive for all of us, subjecting us all to sin and death. Verse 15, the many died by the trespass of the one man. Verse 19, through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. There is a corruption that has been passed down through human nature to each one of us. And so our nature is not that we are able not to sin. Our, our nature is that we are not able not to sin. Every time a baby is born, we don't think, maybe this one will turn out to be the perfect child. No problem with sin at all. No one thinks that because everybody knows everyone born will be just like the rest of us. We will struggle with sin. Our flesh is somehow the place where sin dwells and we can't shake it. Looking ahead, chapter 6, verse 5, When we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. Following the trespass, we live under the reign of sin and death. This is why we don't wake up from history. This is why we don't finally overcome our weaknesses, our selfishnesses, our blindnesses, our hatred, our pride. This is why yesterday's freedom-fighting underdogs become tomorrow's power-drunk oppressors, repaying their enemies sevenfold and renewing the cycle of conflict. While some things definitely do get better, at the same time, other things get worse. Some sins we drive out the front door only to have other ones sneak in the back door. But there is another great event and a new and better reign that Paul talks about here. The second event is... The gift, the gift of Jesus Christ, and the second reign is the reign of grace and life. Uh, Adam, the trespasser, is a pattern of the one who c- to come. We read there is one who is coming, and in uh, in a spoiler, let me tell you, that's Jesus. Jesus is the gift. He is the one who is to come, and he is both like and unlike Adam. And verses 15 to 17 of this passage draw out a contrast with a comparison. And they do it in three ways. Firstly, it says there's an overflow. There's a, the gift overflows. It exceeds. It superabounds over the trespass. Verse 15, the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. It's clear that Paul means to say, however much death might flow from the trespass of Adam, more of God's grace will overflow from the gift of Christ. This is the first way the gift is not like the trespass. Here's another way. In the circumstances in which the gift was given and the results that follow, this is verse 16, Paul says, Nor can the gift of God in Jesus Christ be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Paul wishes to draw a strong contrast between God's judgment brought through Adam and God's gift given through Christ. A single sin triggered judgment and condemnation, but many sins did not stop God's gift of justification being given. The last contrast is to do with power in verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? However powerful the reign of death might be following the trespass, the coming reign of those who receive God's abundant provision of grace will be more powerful still. Those who receive the gift of righteousness, will reign in life through Jesus Christ. Now you may feel like at this point Paul's surely made his point, but he wants to drive it home. Verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For... Just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Now that might strike you. Verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification of life for all people. You might say, what happened to to Paul's talk about faith, that you receive this gift of justification through faith. But the faith is is this required element. We must trust the word of God, the promise of God to us. Where's faith gone? Well, let me say we can't forget the necessity of faith. As I said, this, this passage is a very kind of big picture, simplified, stand back, broad brush, no detail, low resolution look at history. There's lots of things it doesn't mention. As I said, it doesn't mention the snake, Eve, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the command that was broken. It doesn't mention what Jesus' righteous act was, dying on the cross. It doesn't mention everything Paul's talked about with Jew and Gentile. It doesn't mention faith in Christ or anything about all of this. And yet we can't forget it. We need to remember that it's all there in this big picture. But Paul does want us to see this. He does want us to see that when you step back and see the big picture, God's grace will look and will be bigger than sin. And life will be bigger than death. Don't miss that. The gift is not like the trespass. It abounds over it. It exceeds it. It utterly replaces it. How much more, how much more is grace than sin, Paul says. God's provision is abundant. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness. Here's an illustration. You can imagine uh, a mountain, a snow-capped mountain, plenty of snow sitting up there. Uh, Adam stands on the top of a snowy mountain, if you like, and stamps his feet and sets off an avalanche. And this avalanche is an avalanche of sin and death, and it's cascading down the valley, down the mountain, down the valley, which is like it's cascading through the lives of everyone who came after him. And this valley, this human history, is somewhat blasted and corrupted and reigned over by death. But there's a second act. Jesus stands on top of the mountain above the valley and he stamps his foot. And a new avalanche starts up, but it's not an avalanche of sin and death, it's an avalanche of grace and life. And this rolls down the mountain into the valley, and as it goes, it renews and brings forgiveness and healing. And the valley now is a full of place, a place full of, of life and righteousness. And this valley is the lives of the many. And Jesus stamping his foot is his death on the cross. And the blasted place ruled by sin and death is being and will be renewed. The rule of sin and death is being and will be replaced by grace and life. For where sin increased, grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So be of good hope. Be of good cheer. Sometimes the Bible speaks in this way. It sets before us you know, a broad way with many travelling on it and it leads to destruction and a narrow way with only a few on it that leads to life. And we have to consider... That picture in its place. We have to take that seriously. But the Bible doesn't always speak like that in those proportions. And here in Romans 5, we see a picture of the abundance, the superaboundingness, the overflow of the scope and the power of the grace of God in Christ. God's grace. And the gift that came by that grace is not meagre. It's not outweighed or overshadowed by sin and death in the end. In the end, it will be seen to be the other way around. Sin and death will be outweighed. They'll be overshadowed. They'll be super exceeded by grace and life. Let me give you, to finish, another passage which strikes this note. This is from Revelation 5. After this I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne, and worship God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. This is where the world is heading. This is where we are heading. Take heart, be of good cheer, trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we mourn that sin has entered the world and that we have been caught in its clutches and death has reigned over us, but we praise you that you have given us a gift which is not like our trespass, that Jesus Christ has brought grace that overflows to many. So, Lord, help us to see this and rejoice, help us to put our trust in him and follow him, knowing that in the end, grace will increase all the more. And that it will reign through righteousness to bring eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we now pray. Amen.